Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you wanna see the world. I just want to give a big shout out to my first responder husband, Matt Garland, who is a firefighter paramedic. Thank you so much for serving our community and our family every day. And also thank you so much for your service in the U.S. Navy. We appreciate and love you. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey, and today I have a wonderful interview with Jonathan and Kylie Towns. Now, I have been saying for a long time now how much I've been wanting to really be more inclusive of the first responder families, and um, the more and more I get a chance to work with first responder families, the more I have a heart for them, the more I see the similarities between the first responder culture and the military culture, and how much they really do overlap. And the more I've gotten to know these wonderful first responder families, the more I realize that we need a whole lot more resources directed towards first responder families and their marriages. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to open up this podcast and have more conversations about that. So today is part of the beginning, at least, of a new series that is all about first responder couples and first responder marriage. And I'm thrilled that Jonathan and Kylie are with me today. And so let me tell you a little bit about how I met Kylie and how um, how we've gotten to where we are today. So Kylie was at the spouse empowerment retreat for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. When we did that back in September, we took some spouses out to Wyoming, um, just military and first responder spouses. And we did this experiment where we wanted to bring the two groups together and really invest in the spouses because typically we have so many resources for veterans and service members and fewer resources specifically for spouses. So the pilot launch of this program for spouses for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation was to bring the two groups together and give them a weekend away, literally with no cell phone reception at all, and give them an opportunity to take care of themselves, to try some new things. And what we found was two groups of women, it just happened to be all women this time, but two groups of women that had so much in common and so much empathy was created between the two groups that we really realized we're onto something. So that's where I met Kylie, was out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, in the middle of the mountains with gorgeous rivers and no cell phone reception and having no clue what's going on with our families. And thank you to Jonathan for giving her a chance to come out and do that. And so um, Kylie really struck me as um, just an incredible person, beautiful inside and out with an outstanding family. And I know her, her personal marriage and family has been through a lot. And so I reached out to them and I said, hey, I would love for you guys to share your story. So that's why Jonathan and Kylie are with me today. So guys, thank you for joining the program, the show, whatever you want to call this. Um, thank you for being willing to share your story as well. Sure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have been married for six years. Is that right? Just about. Yeah. Now, some of us would call you newbies, right? But you guys have been through a lot in six years. Um, Jonathan, share with everybody what you do and where you guys are at. Sure. Uh, I'm a police officer in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I work for one of the three largest uh, departments in the Metroplex. Um, for a while, I worked for a smaller department, but I was on the SWAT team there 
and uh, got to do a lot of really cool things, but decided it was time to move to a slightly bigger agency to give myself a little bit more career opportunities uh, over the course of the next 20, 25 years. So now you don't have military experience, right? You are you came in as a first responder as a police officer, correct? Well, yes and no. So I uh, I went to enlist at the age of 18 into the Marine Corps and received an officer contract. And I spent two and a half years in the reserves as an officer candidate and tore some nerves in my back and uh, was deemed uh, combat ineffective uh, by the Marine Corps and the doctors there. So I received a medical separation before I was actually commissioned. So I got to experience the culture and uh, have a deep passion for it, but never got to actually fulfill my, what I believed at the time was my calling to serve in the military. So it was, uh, it was a pretty dark time in my life because that was what I was planning on doing for my career. And I was extremely upset that what I felt my goal was taken from me and a uh, really dark time in my life. And uh, shortly after that is actually when I met Kylie for the first time. So I can't tell you how many stories like this um, are in the first responder culture as far as either prior military experience or a desire to go into the military. And so the calling seems to be very similar. So if you wouldn't mind, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about what that experience was like during that time of life. And once you came into um, going into this service, um, has it actually fulfilled some of that calling that you had? Sure. So I had a, a unique experience in that I went through that two and a half years um, in the reserves, kind of getting a taste for what I had planned my whole life around and uh, really experiencing that brotherhood and uh, purpose that I thought that uh, was going to fulfill exactly what I was seeking. Um, and then when I received my injury, you know, that depression and that darkness kind of set in because I didn't know what I was going to do anymore. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to fulfill that um, sense of duty that I had and the passion for service. I was spending a lot of time working really hard and, um, you know, 14 hours a day away from the house. And I just finally told Kylie, I hate my job. Um, I'm completely dissatisfied in what I'm doing and uh, I need to do something else. And she said, okay, well, what would that be? And I said, well, I'd really like to go back uh, to the Marine Corps and she said, no, I didn't sign up to be a military wife. I know what it's like to be a single parent. I don't want to do it again. So what's your next best uh, option? And I said, well, I've got family uh, history and law enforcement. So I guess I'd like to give that a shot. And uh, she fully backed me up and I quit my job, not having a clue as to what we were going to do and just started uh, submitting applications and eventually got hired. How was that for you as far as fulfilling this this sense of calling? And, and maybe if you wouldn't mind kind of explaining what was that calling within you? What was it that you were really wanting to do? And, and has that, have you found that? Yeah. So the biggest frustration that I had doing the pool service stuff is that I didn't feel like I was contributing anything to society. You know, I was literally going back to the same pools every couple of weeks because something else had come up. And, you know, I just was like, what am I doing other than paying bills and making money? I'm not doing anything of value. You know, I want to I want to do something that develops some kind of legacy or some kind of contribution that um, is going to matter when I die. You know, and so um, in law enforcement, you really do, you know, you have the mundane stuff, the things that you do every shift that really don't really seem to add up to anything. But there's also a lot of you know, you really feel like 
you're making a difference for somebody in their life on that day. And so you get a sense of satisfaction just in knowing that you are either helping somebody or maybe even saving somebody's life or you're there to comfort somebody when they've lost a loved one. And while it's emotionally tolling, it's, it's all worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so Kylie and I kind of joke about how um, monetarily I'm, I'm really making probably about half of what I was <laughs> making before. Um, but the sense of satisfaction that I get every day makes it all worth it. You know. Yeah, and that's one of the top things that I think a lot of first responder families struggle with is, you know, this immense calling to go and serve your community and serve other people, and it's a very it's a caregiving type of calling, um, and right. that comes at a price because a lot of families struggle financially because of that decision. It's not um, something that you make a whole lot of money in. Um, I'm sure there's opportunities to climb the ladder here and there, but I mean, there really is a cost. And for some families, that's a huge challenge. And so what has it been like as far as your schedules and what it's like for you guys on a daily basis? Just because of our story, I was married before and, um, I had come to the conclusion that I didn't need to be married again. I'm, I'm a pretty independent person. And so with Jonathan coming into my life, it's really been more of a um, it, he's just a gift to me. And um, so I kind of viewed our marriage that way. And so it's been a little easier to deal with the scary part of um, being a first responder's wife. And I'm just thankful for each day that we get. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I didn't know I was going to get today. So I'm very thankful for it. Um, our day to day life is a little nuts. We have three kids, all spans and ages. Um, like last night, we left the house at 4.15 for a junior high track meet, and everybody was in a different event, and so we got home at 9 o'clock last night and drug the four-year-old along with us, so our day-to-day kind of still revolves around the kids, and it just, if Jonathan is available, he jobs right in with us, but if he's not, everybody just pulls their own weight, and we pack up and go on about our business, so um, we miss him, but we also know that that's just how it goes. We, we know that he's not always going to be there because of the calling and the job and the duty. And so we just truck on and take care of business. So I know that for a lot of people, um, military spouses and first responder spouses, um, you know, there is a lot of independence of taking care of the family at home and their schedule being a little bit more chaotic. I'm just curious, you know, I only know my experience as a, as a military spouse. Um, do you guys have set schedules or is it kind of a come and go? You never know what his schedule is going to be or is it a little bit of a mix of both? Well, I would say a mix of both. He has a very set schedule and when he's not working, they don't, he doesn't have to be on the phone all the time or anything like that. But if he's on shift, he's not necessarily going to come home when he's off. <laughs> well, and it, it's, it's, you know, I have set schedule of these are your shift days. Um, but then other things come up like uh, required training or court dates, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the cops and all the sexiness that you see on TV of chasing bad guys and all that, um, that's only a small fraction of what we actually do. And then we have all this paperwork that we have to do. But then we have to go and sit in court and testify and all that about any arrest that we make or any uh, case that we've been involved in and stuff like that. So even though I have three days one week that are set work days and then four days the next week that are set work days, a lot of times my days off um, could be consumed with um, sitting in court or going to training. 
And when I was on the SWAT team at my last department, um, you know, there was, you never knew. Um, I was on call basically all the time. And so there were times, um, I think my very first call out, Kylie and Wyatt and I were on our way out the door to go see a movie. We had already bought the tickets online and we literally were in the truck leaving the driveway and I got a call out uh, for a, um, a murder suspect that had barricaded himself in a house. And so it was kind of one of those deals where we had to turn around. I gave them the tickets. I waved goodbye, put on my gear and left and they went to the movie, you know. And so um, now that I'm just back in patrol, things have kind of uh, become more consistent. But when you get into those specialized divisions like that, uh, the schedule is kind of hit or miss. You never know when you're going to see each other kind of deal. <laughs> Kylie laughs. <laughs> so, you know, I think for, you know, and there's lots of professions out there where there's inconsistent schedules. And so I'm I'm not at all saying that, you know, there's not other civilian um, jobs where you don't have a chaotic schedule and, and the spouse at home is really needing to hunker down and, and be independent. But there's something um, very different about having jobs where you're putting your life at risk and you're also saving other lives. And even though you might have some of those mundane days like the court experiences or paperwork or whatever is happening, um, you guys really are putting your life on the line. And even like you said, on a day off, something can ca- can happen to change that. And so it sounds very similar in that, um, Kylie, I don't know if you feel this way, but, but military spouses talk all the time about, um, well, I know if around our house, we have this phrase that Matt and I throw around where we say it all can change in a lunch hour. So like he may plan to come home for lunch, you know, but even if he does come home for lunch, the whole day can be different. The whole week can be different. The whole year could be different based off of what information he got that day. And so, um, and some, a lot of times it's planning for dinner and we're going to have dinner. And if daddy shows up, awesome. And if he doesn't show up, well, then we'll just, we'll see when he comes home. That's right. right. So yeah, that's definitely how, um, we run, you know, we, um, have older kids too. And you want to sit around the dinner table and you want to talk about each other's day and every parenting book you read is, you know, you need to be engaged and sitting around the dinner table. And we just kind of have to laugh at that because, we don't always get around the dinner table. You know, you plan on it. He gets off shift ends at six o'clock and he rolls in at 11. Mm. <laughs> and so that's just how it works. So it's funny just because very early on in my career, um, that's something that really irritated Kylie. You know, she, she really would get frustrated when I would send her a text message and say, Hey, late rest. I'm not going to make it home on time or Hey, um, last minute call that's going to last longer than I thought. So I'm not going to make it home for a while and stuff like that. And she used to really get frustrated. And then finally, I don't know if it's something that I said or something that somebody else said, but eventually she just kind of was like, okay, I need to stop worrying about this. And if it, if he's not going to make it home, then he's not going to make it home. We're going to need to be more fluid with our response to it kind of deal. And, um, you know, that, that's really a common occurrence where, you know, you're getting ready to go home and you're crossing your fingers, looking at the clock, just praying that dispatch doesn't call your number. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, a major accident or man with a gun or a domestic violence or something like that. And you're just like, ah, crap. And so you're texting your wife saying, uh, it's going to be a few hours, you know? And so 
you just kind of got to roll with the punches as they come. You know? so, so Jonathan, how do you handle that? Because you can be um, very calm and relaxed and have a very slow day and then something completely drastically change that even maybe at the end of the day before you are going to come home. So you're um, around a lot of stuff. You're experiencing a lot of different things. A lot of those things can be traumatic. So what is that like for you to have a daily experience? You know, our, our service members may have training accidents. They may have things happening here that when they're at home. But one of, one of the things that we noticed at the spouse empowerment retreat that Kate, uh, Kylie was at was I remember all the women sitting around at the tables and we were all talking about how for the military spouses, when they're home, you pretty much know that they're safe. And then when right. they leave, you've got a year long, three months, whatever that deployment is where you're just every day wondering if something's gonna happen. And I think for the military spouses, it was a huge wake up call for us to hear about the first responder spouses and hearing that's their experience sometimes on a daily basis. Sure. And so it was almost like the, the first responder families were going through like these little mini daily deployments. Whereas the military families were going on these more extended times. And it's not that one is worse than the other. There's a lot of similarities. So what is that like for you to have these um, very sometimes daily up and down adrenaline spikes, I would imagine, throughout the day, and then to try to come home to your family? Well, uh, I think the best way to describe it is is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you, you experience a lot of those. And, you know... Not many first responders will admit it, but a big part of the reason why we do the job is because we are adrenaline junkies and we like to have that excitement. Um, and so it kind of makes it difficult when you transition back to the house because you're not going to really experience a lot of that adrenaline and excitement that uh, you experience at work. And so there are guys that fall into, um, you know, there's like three or four major coping mechanisms that you find consistent across the board in police especially but first responders in general and one of those is adultery because you experience that excitement that newness that you know uh just energy that you might kind of assimilate what um you experience at work um you purchase a lot of things because that finding something new and spending the money and the excitement of doing that um, and, and a couple other things, and I think you just need to be aware of what it is that you're using as a coping mechanism because you can end up becoming really frustrated with the things at the house and want to withdraw because they aren't exciting, they're mundane, and while it may not be um, adrenaline-inducing, it's still something very important, and so you have to transition your mind a little bit um, every day. and. You know, it is very different, but um, like you said, I wouldn't say it's easier or harder for military personnel because they're gone for a year and so maybe or 15 months. And so it may be when they get home, that's the first time they have a chance to really think back and reflect on what they've experienced over the last 12 to 15 months. And um, so that can be very damaging. But then uh, for first responders, we have to reflect on what we experience that day every day mm-hmm. so that we can try to flush it uh, before we get home so that it doesn't impact our relationships with our wives or our kids or um, the rest of our family. And so what do you specifically do? What is What have you figured? I'm sure you haven't figured it all out yet, right? But what is helping you so far to um, transition your brain from work to back home? So um, I have a little bit of a commute. I drive about 30 or 40 minutes to and from work every day. And uh, initially I thought that was going to be 
really inconvenient, but it's actually kind of worked out pretty good because it gives me that buffer time to try to um, uh, decompress a little bit from work, you know. Um, I think a great example would be uh, last week, I believe it was, you know, I um, spent most of the day at um, an apartment where a guy was found dead and he had been there for almost a week, you know, and so it's Texas springtime um, and just kind of gross and, you know, just a lot of things going on there. You know, you have to um, inform the family and the neighbors and then deal with the um, just the decomposition of the body and stuff like that. And so you're dealing with all this and now you get to go home to opening the door and, hey, dad, guess what happened today at school? You know, and you kind of want to just say, I really don't care right now what happened today at school, you know. Um, so anyway, what I found is, you know, kind of purposefully choosing the type of mu music that I listen to on the way home that's calming or something that is going to help me transition back to that kind of family mindset or, um, you know, bring the um, just the adrenaline back down a little bit, you know. Um, I also am involved, like you already mentioned, we're involved with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. I'm also involved in another nonprofit organization called Veteran Extreme Adventures. And so I found that, um, you know, on the days that Kylie and the kids are gone, um, me getting plugged in with those organizations and doing something to help somebody else out um, in a positive way, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, depressing because you see what other people are going through, but at the same time, you're, you're contributing to somebody's life. And so you feel good about it, you know, and so that gives me a sense of excitement um, and eagerness that kind of also helps me transition back to the excitement that the kids would love for me to have when they come to tell me about their day or when Kylie comes to tell me about their, her day. And what a healthy way for you to recognize the, the adrenaline that you need or the sense of needing to do something for yourself and plugging that in, in good, positive, healthy ways. Because I imagine for a lot of first responders, if they are adrenaline junkies and didn't go the routes that you explained before, Possibly, I would guess one of the other routes is signing up for more hours and more shifts, right? If if home is not as exciting um, and it has a sense of responsibility there, that it's sometimes a lot easier for people to detach and move towards workaholism where they can find yeah. that as well. well it, when I got into this job, um, you know, my uncle worked for the Dallas Police Department for over 30 years and he, you know, Dallas works five uh, shifts a week and then they get paid very little. Um, so um, he worked a lot of off-duty jobs and um, it really had a negative impact on his family life. And so when I got into this job, he really cautioned me and said, don't make the same mistake that I made. And so while the extra money would be nice, um, I just remind myself, is it really worth the time away from my family and um, kind of ostracizing myself? Because then when you're gone six days a week, um, you become just a moving part to a puzzle as opposed to an influential uh, body, you know, and uh, the, the family just kind of sees you as the person who pays the bills instead of the contributing father that you should be or the contributing husband. So um, I really just try to balance and measure that, you know, is, is that extra job really going to help the family 
or is it just going to be extra something, you know? Yeah. And that's so a I tough call. I do it if I can. That's a tough call for a lot of families deciding on what, what is that line, right? What's the line of, um, having what we need versus what we want versus, um, what does it mean to, to have that need and want, right? So if we're needing to pay the bills, that's one thing. If it's really just to have the extras, what's the trade-off? And if we're right. losing time with dad or losing time with mom or whatever, that can, real, like you said, really impact the family. So yeah, um, it just really emphasized to me the importance of living within your means, you know, because if you don't put that financial stress on yourself, then um, you're not having to deal with that. You know, if you can live within your means, then the extra the extra jobs are a bonus as opposed to a necessity. And know? I think too, our lawn, even for our family, our lawn is moving. Um, we can tell between the two of us and between our family dynamic, he can take on um, extra jobs and be gone, you know, one week, two week, three week. And then by week three, we're kind of at each other's throats and nobody really knows what's going on with the kids and everybody's tired. It's like, okay, we found our lawn. <laughs> there it is. Pull back. And, you know, we pull the family back together, um, pull everybody's uh, attention back to our center and then go again when we need to. So our line kind of moves as well. I don't think it has to be hard and fast. I think everything has a season and sometimes our seasons are short and sometimes our seasons are a little longer. I love that answer. I was going to come to you, Kylie, and ask you, um, what is it, what have you figured out for for him coming home and what he needs coming home and what you need from being at home all day with the kids or um, having your kind of day? What have you guys figured out or what are you figuring out um, once he does come home and transitioning that family time? Um, I don't think that I have figured anything out, <laughs> really. Um, are you still working on that one? Still working on that <laughs> That's one. okay. Gotten, like he said, um, I used to get really frustrated when he would text and, hey, I'm not going to be home, or he wouldn't text, and here goes an hour and a half, and I haven't heard a word from him, and I have no idea what's happening. I think I've grown as a person in that area, you know, but something that I've really had to work on is, um, I'm a very schedule-oriented person. I'm very type A. I'm a dinner cooker. I'm a laundry doer. I'm, I just take care of the core at home. And so my thing was the home should also revolve around dad being there. And so that's something that I kind of had to let go of. And I think when I did, it took the pressure off of him. Mm-hmm. And then that made him relax. Therefore, I could relax. I don't know. I think we're only six years in, but we have really relaxed. (laughs) Well, if the home, just by, I'm just curious, if the home stopped revolving around him, what did the home start revolving around? What was the shift? This is where I make Um, you guys work a little bit. You're you're probably going to say this is completely unhealthy, but it revolves around the two teenagers in our house. Well, (laughs) that's probably really normal, actually, for this stage. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I mean, their lives. We do work and we get them to where it is that they, we want them to be successful. And I think that's just the season of life that we're in right now. And thankfully he has that same goal that I have. So we work on it together. But like last night we were sitting at the track and field, but we were sitting there together and we were able to catch up on talking to one another. And we haven't seen each other since last Sunday. Um, 
and the sunshine was gorgeous and why it was running around. I mean, it was fine. It, it works. Well, and I, what I'm hearing you say is that just like any family who has kids and activities, if you, if the whole family is revolving around the one family member that has the most chaotic schedule, meaning, you know, we're trying to revolve around one person that can make everything very um, tense and it can make it very stressful. And so what you're saying is we kind of at the home decided that we have to kind of move forward on whatever the, the majority of everybody needs to, to have done for that day and, mm-hmm. and relieving that tension and that pressure on your husband so that we're not all waiting for you and you are going to make everybody else happy when you arrive, right? Because sure. they're trying to get to whatever event they need to go to. Instead, he's able to plug back in wherever you are. I think sure. that's the biggest key, and you know, you kind of mentioned, you kind of hit her on it, and Kylie's kind of hit on it, and that's that. You know, Kylie was able to adopt the mentality, and the kids were able to adopt the mentality, and that's if Dad's there, then great. But we have to acknowledge the fact that there's a possibility that he might not, and while that may be upsetting or disappointing, we just need to understand that there's a reason, and it's an important reason, and uh, you know, so. I try to make it to everything that I can on my days off or, you know, a lot of times I'll go straight from shift to T-ball practice to try to show my support, even though I've been up since 4 a.m. and worked a really hard day or something like that. And so it's a little bit of flexibility on their part. And it's a little bit of sacrifice on my part and understanding that while sleeping or resting or just vegging out on the couch would be awesome. Um, you know, I recognize the fact that my absence has created a little bit of a void. I need to work extra hard to try to, you know, fulfill that and make up for the time lost, you know? Absolutely. Um, And I, what I've been, what I'm thinking about as you're saying that is how much grace comes with letting go of the perfection, I think for both sides, right? So when you give yourself a little bit of grace and say, okay, it's not going to be dinner together every night, we give each other grace and you have to give yourself grace too. Like, because of course you would rather come home and, and relax and rest and you probably need that rest and so not expecting a level of perfection of yourself but instead saying who can I be my best for right now and can I push off that rest whereas other times you may come home and say I can't be my best until I rest right right okay so let's transition for a second and talk about your marriage um a lot of us remember a year ago, I, um, I'm, I think it was over a year now, um, the Dallas shooting happened and you guys are close in proximity there. Um, that was a really difficult thing for all of us to watch and, and could only assume what that's like and how that's impacted so many families and, and first responder families. Um, you guys were impacted a little bit by that. So would you mind sharing with us without being a voyeur into your life and um, broadcasting that. Um, I think there's a lot of us that want to understand what that must have been like, because it was such a, a shift in, I think, the culture of what America experiences, um, what, how we want to support you guys. So what was that like for you guys to go through that? Well, um, you know, I can't, I can't really fathom what it was like watching it from another's place, because, um, you know, it was home. Uh, like I mentioned, my, my uncle worked for Dallas for over 30 years and, uh, you know, it's very similar to the military community in that, um, law enforcement and, uh, fire is a close knit group. And so even though you may not know somebody, but you recognize, you know, on their shirt, they have an emblem or something that, you know, denotes law enforcement or fire or something like that, you kind of just give each other, you know, an extra wink or 
a nod or something like that, an extra firm handshake, because you appreciate that they understand where you are and what you're going through, you know. Um, and so I have a lot of buddies uh, that work for the Dallas Police Department. And um, so it was unique for us in that we were on our uh, retreat through the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation in um, South Carolina when the attack occurred on July 7th. And um, so I didn't really know anything that was going on. It was our first night in Charleston. And yeah, I think we were out to dinner or something and I got a, a Fox News update or a text message. I can't even remember. Actually, I think it was a text message from one of my buddies and said, do you know what's going on? Do you know if everybody's okay? And I'm like, man, what the heck are you talking about? I'm halfway across the country. I don't know. <laughs> and so we got back to the hotel room and turned on the news and just started seeing everything kind of unraveling a, a bit. And uh, it's literally, you know, it's on a street that we drive daily, you know, that um, uh, several of the officers were killed, you know. And um, so it was, it was hard for me to watch because I felt helpless. Um, as a first responder um, who works in that area, I really, really wanted to just be there to be with my buddies. And that's something that I know that military um, personnel can understand is when you're home from a deployment, but you know other people are on deployment, or even if you don't know them, but you see that they are being attacked or something, you feel a sense of guilt because you're not there to be with them, to fight with them, you know? And so I, I felt a sense of guilt initially, and then I was kind of overcome uh, with the sense of concern for my friends. And so I stayed up until about 4 a.m. just watching the news, you know, really praying and hoping that I would see my buddies as they're running around on the street just to make sure that they were okay, you know. And I knew that several of my really close friends were involved. And it turns out that several of them were responsible for either ultimately getting the suspect um, kind of blocked into the final place where they got him barricaded. Um, and even uh, others were involved in what ultimately, the actions that were ultimately taken that um, uh, stopped the attack, you know. And um, so it kind of gave me a unique glimpse into what it must be like for Kylie and my parents and uh, the spouses and family of military and first responder, uh, you know, because anytime something like that comes up, you know, they hear on the news officer killed or officer shot or officer wounded, uh, you know, or attack at a Ford operations base or um, something like that. It's everything around you kind of freezes and stops and you lose track of the world around you because you're focused in on, is my loved one okay? Mm -hmm. And um, even if it's not in the area where they are, you start thinking about, so man, it could be them, yeah. you know, it could just as easily be them, you know? So it gave me a unique insight as to what it must be like, you know? And so I appreciate the opportunity, but at the same time, it was really hard. Well, I have to commend you because there's such power behind having a role reversal moment and allowing yourself to be in your spouse's shoes and really take in all that information. And um, I really commend you for doing that and actually putting yourself in Kylie's shoes. And I, I imagine that that's done. We just kind of shared what that's done as far as understanding it from her perspective. And um, I know that that must have been really difficult. And so let me let the listeners in on some context of where you guys actually were, because the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation retreats are, are really meant to pull you guys away from life, pull you away from even the kids and give you a weekend away where it's just the two of you reconnecting 
really to thank you for your service, really to have somebody give back to you. And here you're on this retreat. You've just started it where you're kind of getting unplugged from life. And the the very thing <laughs> that you normally would be doing, like the worst case scenario is going on. And so mm-hmm. how did that impact the rest mm-hmm. of your retreat? You said you were up till 4 a.m. That's probably not ideally what you guys are planning your your first night to look like. Right. So yeah. um, Kylie, what was that like? How did, did you guys recover um, the weekend or what was it like for you guys to go through that experience? We did recover the weekend. Um, I give a lot of credit to him to let that happen. I knew, I thought we were going home. I really did. I mean, I, as he was staying there somewhere around midnight, I just, I thought I was going to have to call the foundation and ask him to put us on a plane the next morning. And, um, but we didn't. And we, he finally went to sleep and we woke up and the next morning he gathered some information that he needed and he was like, okay, where are we going? I don't even remember what it was on the docket, but, um, couples massage, couples massage. <laughs> that was really easy to get into, which I'm pretty sure I slept through. <laughs> I don't really don't remember. That was really easy. Um, but I think our retreat for us and our personal marriage was so unique because it gave him the role reversal and it gave me the opportunity to see, I mean, his heart was truly broken and that doesn't happen very often. We pick on him sometimes because his heart's way down underneath there um, sometimes, but his heart was broken and he was broken and he just stood in front of that TV and just watched it and would just pace and he didn't talk and he didn't, and I didn't have any words to say for him. Um, And it just, he really cared for the moment and for what was happening. And it let me kind of see a little bit how strong the calling on his life is and how deep he feels this and how ingrained in him it actually is. This isn't a fly by night. Oh, it's my job. That's what I do. That's not who he is. He, he and other first responders that we know personally, they are fighters for justice. They're not fighters for being fair. They're fighters for justice. Mm -hmm. And that was so apparent. And so I think our retreat was really special for the two of us because we both, you know, give a little grace. We both found grace in what the other one kind of goes through when sometimes you really only see yourself and you don't really get to focus on how deep the other person feels what it is that they're feeling. So our retreat was interesting, but I'm very grateful for it. it. It, it took us, it took us a little deeper together, so I'm very thankful for it. Well, it definitely helped that I was able to eventually confirm that my buddies were okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> You know, um, I didn't, I didn't personally know any of the officers who were killed, but they were, they worked closely with my buddies, and so through that, it was still a very heavy experience, and I ended up attending um, several of the funerals uh, for those guys. You know, but it was helpful to that. But then. I don't know, and it may have just been a God thing. It, I, I really can't explain it. I'm not somebody who really talks about my emotions or my thoughts. You know, I'm kind of more of a um, quiet, pensive person. When I when there's something heavy on my heart, um, I really just like to kind of seclude myself and spend time um, men- mentally digesting it, you know? And uh, for whatever reason, um, that weekend I was okay and open to sharing my thoughts with Kylie about it. and. Um, so, um, and I would say a providential planning, um, it gave us kind of a unique opportunity to be able to digest the, the event, just the two of us without having to juggle kids and everything. 
So it actually gave us an opportunity to really um, emotionally process and digest what had happened and discuss it with each other and uh, to overcome it together instead of me just kind of disappearing to the back room and calling one of my buddies, you know, and all that. So it gave us an ability to connect. Um, and I, would, I wouldn't wish it to happen ever again, but it did provide us an opportunity to kind of connect in a way that even with five years of marriage, we hadn't really connected at yet. Yeah, if I could figure out a way to bottle what it's like to um, have this role reversal experience within a marriage, it is really, it changes the trajectory, I think, of your relationship to actually have that moment to sit in the pocket of someone else's experience. And it gives you this ability to have so much more grace. And I know mm -hmm. for me, getting to travel overseas did the same thing with Ky that Kylie just said, which is you get to see that calling for real. You get to see them experience um, the level of passion that they have. And, and as your spouse, you want nothing more than for them to experience that calling and fulfill it and be happy in it. And so what an incredible weekend that you guys had. So what do you feel like some of these marriages really struggle with? What do you see within your culture? Um, I really think that the the acceptance of the unknown is tough especially for younger uh couples you know because i had uh done the reserves uh thing for two and a half years and then i did the uh, pool job for i don't know four years or something like that you know um I, I got into this job a little bit later than some you know uh and so I really see that the young couples that are the 21, 22s, and they've been married for six months, you know, kind of deal. Um, you know, the guys are kind of like, man, I really got to get home because my wife expects this. And us older guys are like, you know, hey, you got to tell her that she needs to just stop expecting anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it just needs to be roll with the punches. And, you know, it's I'm sure a lot like for, you know, military uh, spouses when they get the phone call from their deployed spouse that says, hey, uh, this... 12 month uh, deployment that we thought we were going to have, it's actually going to be 15, you know, or, um, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to be back, but it's going to be a quick turnaround, mm -hmm. you know, and it just changes things, you know, and so I, I see that as being a big issue. And then, like I touched on before, just the uh, constant uh, seeking of the adrenaline mm -hmm. outside of work to reproduce it. Because, you know, you're going through the job during the day and it's this, 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 then you spike and then you kind of go back down to this, this, this. But then when you get home, you drop down and you hit that valley. And so that's the version of you that your family experiences is this extremely tired, you know, uh, in the valley, not really exciting, just trying to recover uh, mode. And so for them, it's kind of like, is this really, this isn't the person that I married, you know? Uh, the person I married was a lot more fun loving than this, you know, and so as the as the first responder, you have to make an effort to try to even artificially create those spikes at home so that they get to see the happier version of you, you know, so like Kylie grew up as an outdoors person, you know, her dad took her hunting and fishing and stuff like that growing up. So the way that we uh, create those artificial spikes is we take the kids fishing or, yeah. you know, we go do something as a family, you know, where we can have those experiential um, opportunities with each other to create those memories. And that's something that she picked up from Wyoming was, you know, you got to do something more than just going out to dinner. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's memorable about going out to dinner, you know, go do something that's y'all are going to have this experience together 
so that way it's something that you can reflect on. And since she got back from Wyoming, that's something that we've worked a lot harder on is our date nights are a little bit more out of the do ordinary, something. do yeah. something unusual or go somewhere that we've never been before so that we can experience that together. Ooh, um, share some of those, Kylie. What have you guys come up with? We do a lot of stuff outside. Um, we have used our opportunities through the Chris Kyle Foundation and um, through the foundation that Jonathan is in. We've kind of, with Vets Extreme, we've kind of thrown ourselves into that a little bit. And so with that, we've been able to help with other events that other people are doing. So Jonathan and I are serving alongside of one another as we serve other people. And we've done that three or four times at this point. And um, we, whenever we're just kind of sitting and talking, we find ourselves reminiscing about those events because it's so awesome and rewarding to go together to give back. And um, so that's what we really enjoy. And we just we go to a restaurant that we wouldn't normally go to. It has weird food, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can eat this. And yeah. they're like, give it a shot. And then we eat it, and we're like, oh, that was terrible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or we, you know, we've gone to uh, the, there's a comedian club that's like an improv deal in Fort Worth. We've gone to do that. Oh, and, and that was way out of our comfort zone. We've never done that before. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've gone to some concerts, you know, just stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm a big uh, Garth Brooks fan, so we went to go see Garth Brooks when he came into town, and um, George Strait was one of hers. We went and saw him when he came into town, and then some smaller bands that I've really loved since college, and, you know, just doing things where uh, the whole purpose is to generate some memories, you know, um, and it's not just spending time with each other out at a restaurant, because then you end up both kind of spending time staring at your phones yeah. or talking about what's going on in each other's lives, but more kind of like at a business level, like, hey, what's coming up? Let's work the calendar and all that. Whereas if you're actually uh, actively doing something, you know, you're focused on what's going on at the time, you know? Well, and something too that I've made an effort and it probably wears him out. I'm a goer and a doer and he's not. And so um, we've had to work that together for me to not have to go and do as much and him to come on and do stuff. Um, but one thing that I take initiative in our relationship is, uh, thankfully, I have access to a couple of great babysitters. And so I'll just look ahead on the calendar and see when he's not working. And I'll go ahead and line somebody up. And three days before, I'd be like, oh, hey, so-and-so is coming over. What do you want to do? And he was like, uh. <laughs> so I, we put the opportunity out there. I put it on the calendar um, where in the past, the first couple of years we were married, we didn't really go and do stuff, just the two of us. But, you know, I really like hanging out with the guy. And the kids are great, but we hang out with them a lot. And mm -hmm. so it's really nice to just hang out with the two of us. And so um, I have found that I really enjoy that. And so I make an effort to make it happen. You kind of have to schedule the date nights. Yeah. You know, you have to make an effort to make sure that you get time, just the two of you. And, you know, we didn't really do that early on in our marriage. And it was probably not the best decision. We would just kind of go by, you know, hey, there's an opportunity for us to go out this weekend. Let's go do something. Whereas now Kylie specifically looks at the calendar, figures out a night that would work, and then she makes the arrangements for the accommodations for the kids or whatever, and then it gives us an opportunity to go do something. And sometimes it is just going to the mall and walking around, you know, <laughs> um, but it gives us time to just kind of go back to who we are um, as a couple instead of us as a whole I love age. that. I'm so proud of you guys too. I'm so proud of you capturing this idea of doing something that's multi-sensory or 
being more intentional of um, planning that time together and and knowing your personalities and how different your personalities are. And I know that for every couple, we tend to marry our opposite and that can cause a lot of tension and conflict sometimes. But at some point, you have to balance things out and realize that um, I can do something or I enjoy doing something that you don't. And so there typically is somebody that's a planner and somebody who is the introvert, right? And so you guys have captured your personalities a little bit more. And Kylie is the one that's making those plans because she might be able to do that quicker, easier, or she just has access to it. So I'm so proud of you guys for coming up with that and figuring that out for yourselves this early on into your relationship, because it really is going to make a huge difference. Um, So before we run out of time, I really want to ask you, Kylie, um, what do you feel like first responder spouses struggle with? And what do you feel like they need? Because I have a feeling that the spouses in your culture are very similar to the military spouse culture, and that we tend to be in this mode of serving our families and serving our spouse, our serving spouse so much that spouses tend to either get burned out. Um, some of them struggle with resentment, um, but it's kind of this hidden population that doesn't really get the resources or get the help that they need or the opportunity. So I'm wondering if that, if you see that within your culture, what do you see that first responder spouses especially need? Well, I think just like military uh, wives and spouses, their first responder wives and spouses are very strong. And it's really hard to admit that you really need anything because, you know, your Leo husband can take care of all of it. And if he can go out there and he can put his life on the line every day, then I can surely get the kids back and forth to where they need to be. I can surely get dinner cooked and I can surely get everyone to bed on time. I'm a perfectionist. I know that about myself. I put really high standards on my own self. And this took it up a notch because if you're going to be a hero and you're going to serve, then I'm going to be the one standing behind you doing it perfectly. Mm. And that's not the case. I'm not, I mean, just today I feel overwhelmed and I feel like my list is 7,000 miles long and I feel like I can't get it done. And uh, what I really struggle with is feeling like I get in this mode of where I feel like I have to do it all myself because it's me. It's just me by myself. Well, that's not true. It's not me by myself. He's here. He just has to go take care of the job that he needs to take care of. That does. I'm, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. He's just stepping out for a little while. And so that's a train of thought that I have to catch myself having. Um, it's one that I have to pray about constantly that I don't get in the mode of, well, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Oh, no, I can't. I'm freaking out. Mm-hmm. It's still a partnership. It's just a partnership. The roles are just, they look a little bit different than your regular nine to five job. So I guess I could, I guess that can lend yourself to being really lonely. I know a number of families and a number of wives who are just really lonely. Um, And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be lonely and resentful. And so it's something that you have to capture and talk about or let go of or, or something. I don't know. I don't have it figured out. I think the resentment isn't even to the spouse, it's to the job or even to the community that they're serving because it's like, well, you know, these people that he doesn't even know or she doesn't even know is getting all this effort from them and all this attention from them. Why don't I get that same effort? Why don't I get that same attention? Um, Or here's the job calling him away yet again, you know, and um, so, you know. We need to do everything. Right. And, you know, the the public servant or the military personnel still are passionate about the job. And so when we get that call, it's that excitement of, Hey, I'm needed and I'm going to go do what I've been trained to do. And, 
then you are walking away from a family going, but you're needed and you have things here that you've been trained to do that we need you to do. And um, so it's really, truly balancing that and understanding that uh, you may feel a calling for your job, but you also still have a calling at home and you need to fulfill that calling also. When you know what's weird for me as um, a wife and a mom, I can recognize that with my kids because I don't want to raise them. Like I go out of my way to talk and do and model. I don't want them to resent the job. I don't want them to resent dad because dad's never here. Dad had to go away. Dad, this, that, and the other. I spend so much energy working that I don't raise kids that resent first responders or the culture. I want them to embrace it. I want to raise Americans and patriots that love to serve and, you know, love their country and love their first responders and military. And, and then I don't recognize it in myself. Then I feel all of my own little thoughts creeping in when I'm working so hard to fix everybody else. So yeah, I don't have to figure it out. <laughs> well, and I think there's a lot of authenticity that you guys are, are showing and sharing um, that it's, and it's okay that you haven't figured it out because I love the fact that you guys are trying to figure it out. To me, that's what speaks volumes is not, you know, did somebody fully figure it out? Cause I don't think we ever fully do. The point is, is are you trying to figure it out? Are you doing things? Are you paying attention to what's happening in your marriage? What's happening in your family? What's happening in you? And then listening to that and then adjusting courses you need to. And as you figure it out, you share it. And it may work for people or it may not, but at least it gets people thinking about what's happening around me and how can I make a difference in what's just happening around me. So I'm so proud of you guys for being authentic about your story and authentic about um, the struggle that I think is really real. And one of the themes that I think came up in our conversation today is is coming back to this calling idea, right? And that, um, you know especially for men, I'm going to kind of go into labels here for just a second, but especially for men, there is a deep sense of, of a need for purpose, um, a need for calling, a need to be protective, a need to provide for your home. And when that's not right, when something doesn't quite fit right, it can wreak havoc in a man, in a man's life. And so for what I see, for a lot of men who don't know where that calling is or are struggling to find it and haven't found it yet, or that calling is um, is threatened, such as what happened with your back. The depression that sets in is so strong. And for those that are listening, um, what I often see for men is depression often translates and shows itself in anger. Because men, when they're happy, they're happy. But when they're sad, they're angry. When they're disappointed, they're angry. When they're, <laughs> when they're discouraged, they're angry. When they're depressed, they're angry. And it just happens to be how it's expressed. Not for everybody, but for most. And so this sense of calling is so powerful and so important. And I think as military wives and as first responder wives, we um, can show our love by getting behind that calling once they've found it. But that doesn't mean that we sacrifice ourselves to that calling. We have to find our own sense of calling, whether that's in the culture and serving within the culture. And I love how you guys talked about the um, the couple calling, right? You have individual callings and you have who are you guys as a couple too and your identity in that. And the joy that you guys show on your faces when you talk about things that you get to do together, especially when you're serving someone else together. And so there's a couple calling that comes with that. And you find your own sense of fulfillment in who you are together. And so, but I think it's also important for spouses to start talking about that if they are struggling with resentment, if they are struggling with the culture or the, or the schedules or 
um, with themselves. Kylie, you brought you brought up a really great point of I can overwork myself and put so much energy into making sure that everybody else is okay that suddenly I'm realizing I didn't deal with myself, right? And so knowing what your own calling is and your own sense of fulfillment is really powerful, right? So oh, yeah, I, agree. I am so proud of you guys. Is there anything else that you guys would share? Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, it's not just a calling for the uh, public servant or for the military uh, personnel. It's, you know, the spouses have a calling too. And uh, it's not an easy job to be the spouse of a first responder or be a military spouse. Um, and you have to recognize your calling as well. Um, and that's to be um, somebody strong enough that uh, those of us who are, you know, in the job can go away and be confident that things are going to be taken care of at home, you know, and um, we uh, also acknowledge the fact that there's going to be a power struggle a little bit when I get home or, you know, the same for military, uh, you know, when that spouse gets home from their deployment and the other spouse has been at home taking care of everything while they were gone, there's going to be that, okay, now we got to get back to who we are. And uh, as a couple, as a family unit, you know, uh, the kids, instead of just walking right past me to go find mom to ask her a question, you know, oh, okay, dad's home now, so I can ask him, you know, there's just all sorts of things that um, are, um, you know, subversive that you don't even recognize are potential issues until it spikes and it becomes that issue, you know, and uh, on a day-to-day basis, it can change. And so the biggest thing is just being fluid um, being aware, especially of self, but of what's going on in the home and all that kind of stuff and just um, trying to be understanding. You know, when Kylie went to Wyoming, I got to experience what it's like to be the parent at home for four days <laughs> without the other parent uh, to even discuss or ask. And it was a nightmare of a weekend. <laughs> we had, you know, every kid had at least two events the, over the weekend while she was gone. Our air conditioning unit went out while she was gone. And... So uh, I told her, I'm really glad that you got away. I'm really glad that you had a good time. But never again. Never go again. Um, So anyway, it's, you know, like you said, just that kind of role reversal. And if the opportunity comes up, then, you know, say, hey, yeah, uh, I'm home. It's my days off. So if you and your girlfriends want to go away for a trip, then I dare you to let your wife do it and give it a shot and see what happens. You'll hate yourself. And then you'll be so glad when she comes home to pass that torch back Mm -hmm. off, you know, and but it will give you a better understanding of what they experience while you're gone. And, uh, you know, just be willing to acknowledge your downfalls and your spouse's downfalls and not hold it against them, yeah. um, but just accept it and move on. We're only six years in. We've got a good, like, 30 to go. Um, you know, some old. But um, kind of forget who each other is and why you like that person and when they're gone for three weeks on end and you're like oh my gosh is he ever going to be home and then he comes home and you're like oh my gosh go back to work you know (laughs) you forget who they are as a person and you forget why you like them and we've even said that to one another at various times and you know oh yeah I do like you like when we're able to hang out and it's just us and you're able to reconnect and your hearts like come back together and you remember why you like that person and why they're your other half and, you know, what you have and why you're doing this. And I know that's simple and silly to even say, because who loses somebody after three weeks? But really, you know, what can happen in three weeks? And so um, 
I know the military um, families really deal with that, having to re-enter. like, who is this person? But I know that that's something that even in our short time of being married, have experienced. And when they come back and you're like, oh, yeah, I really do love you. You know, it's it's really that's what keeps moving us through. Like I said, seasons come and seasons go. I think the last thing that is I can't emphasize enough that's really, really important. That's uh, protecting yourselves um, from potential other parties that might try to uh, wedge themselves into your relationship. You know, when one spouse is gone, it's easy for the other spouse to find somebody else to um, really um, share their feelings and their frustrations and stuff like that. And then you have this emotional connection with somebody other than your spouse. And, you know, for those of us who are gone, it's easy for us even just to emotionally connect with the people that we work with and, you know, well, I can only talk to them about it, so I'm not even going to try to talk to you about it because you don't understand. Right. So I'm just going to call, you know, my buddies or I'm going to go out with my buddies and, you know, emotionally investing yourself in somebody else. Um, I purposely, we found out pretty early on that all my stories from work have to be kind of G-rated for Kylie um, because it gets her worried and worked up about what I'm experiencing, um, but also because she doesn't handle uh, the gruesomeness of the job well but I still need to share some things with her so that she feels that there's not a block uh, wall being built up between the two of us. And we do have that emotional connection still, and I'm relying on her still. Um, so just protect yourselves each individually from having that emotional connection with somebody else, because that's one of the most important parts of a marriage is remaining emotionally connected. So powerful, so powerful. Thank you guys so much for opening up and being vulnerable and sharing what you guys shared today. Um, for being willing to come on together and and talk about your relationship and your experiences. Um, There's so much more that we could go into. Sure, thank you so much for having us. We're happy to have the opportunity. Yeah.